Block AC, how we doing tonight? Woo! Hey guys, three days away from the Super Bowl, how are we feeling? Everyone feeling good? Okay. A little bit of nerves. I'm actually feeling a little bit of nervous about the Super Bowl. Uh, not sure how it's going to go, but we did not come to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. We came to talk about our minds and our thoughts. And so we're going to continue on in our mindful series where we've been looking uh, about what God's word has to say about our thoughts and the way we think. So as we get started, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite people in the whole world. This is my niece, Vivi. She's four years old. Uh, she's my favorite oldest niece. I think I can say that I have two. So I have a favorite youngest niece and a favorite oldest niece. But this is Vivi. I play the role uh, of the uncle who's the relief pitcher during fun time, right? So my sister and my brother-in-law, they work very hard, and uh, Vivi and her little sister Annie were actually sick, and so they were cleaning up a lot of puke, you know, uh, joys of parenthood, honestly. And as they were doing this, like, I'm like, man, they just need someone to come and, like, burn out the girl's energy. Because somehow they're both sick, but also they, like, still have a ton of energy. So whenever I'm up there, I'm always just like, hey, Vivi, what do you want to do for fun? Like, what do you want to do to get all that energy out so that you'll go to bed tonight? And we like to play. We have a lot of different games that we play. Uh, one of them is Paw Patrol. I don't know if anyone else is an uncle or an aunt out here or you're around small kids. Uh, Paw Patrol is about these dogs that perform city services. Um, that's the best way I know how to describe it. Uh, yeah, Vivi and I fight giants. We fight wolves. She really likes fighting giants, really likes fighting wolves. Those are kind of the things that if we're going to fight something, that's what it's going to be. She loves singing songs. She loves dressing up as a princess. We dance around the living room to different, like, Disney songs, you know, Beauty and the Beast, stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Recently, we were saving her stuffed animals from the Grinch, so that was fun. Uh, it was even after Christmas, but the Grinch was still around in her mind. Uh, really, Grinch really wanted her lambs to come stay with him, but that was not okay in Vivi's mind. Really, though, the thing that I think gets me, I, I absolutely love spending time with my niece. I absolutely do. Uh, but the thing that is very confusing to me is sometimes we'll be playing, and I'll hear this. No, 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 no. Uncle Nitz, that's not how you play. And I'm like, okay. So what I thought, like, you know, there's a cat stuck in a tree, so Marshall gets in his fire truck, and he's going to drive to the tree, rescue the cat. I'm like, that seems to make sense, right? Like, that's what the firefighter dog should do. And she's like, that's Sky's job. Oh, sorry, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't mean to encringe on your territory, Sky. Uh, but she has a very specific way of how she sees things in her mind. And very, very often, whenever I'm playing with her, she's saying, no, 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 Uncle Nitz, you're not playing right. And I'm like, okay, will you, will you show me how to play? And I think the funny thing is, is that she is, well, first of all, she's four. So, of course, she's, like, absolutely convinced in her mind that she's right all the time. You know, there's nothing wrong. And her parents are great. They're working on her with that. And I try to come alongside and help them and say, hey, it's okay to play your own way. Right? Like, you don't have to only play your way, Vivi. Uh, but it, I think it, honestri or it, on it honestly illustrates a very, very common truth for all of us is that most of the time we're convinced, whether subconsciously or not, that our way is the right way. You know, a lot of times we can look at situations and our thoughts or our opinions or our worldview, everything, we get in life situations and we think, no, 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 you need to think the way that I think. Or, no, 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 you need to do the way, you need to do things the way that I would do. And so whether it's in our job or our relationships or just any different aspect or facet of life, we're focused on what would I do in the situation. And we tend to think, whether we admit it or not, we tend to think, yeah, I think I'm right 
because otherwise we wouldn't be doing things, right? If we didn't think we were right most of the time, we would probably be doing something else, unless you're crazy. But then I guess, you know, sometimes we do wrong things anyways. Um, but last week we talked about how our thoughts matter, because we talked about how our thoughts lead to our actions, and our actions lead to our outcomes. And so our thoughts dictate the outcome of our life. Tonight, we're here to look at it from a different angle. Our topic tonight is your thoughts don't matter, right? Your thoughts don't matter. And it sounds a little harsh at first, but what I mean by this is just that we can get so caught up of our way of seeing the world that we miss out on what's really true. And we need a source of absolute truth, and we find that in the words of God. And if you ask, why does God get to define what's true? It's because he created truth. And he created you, and he created me, and he has thoughts on how our lives should be lived to experience the plan and go to the outcomes that he has designed for us. So tonight we're actually going to be looking at Isaiah 55. The book of Isaiah was actually written to the Israelite people, if you're not familiar, around 2,600 years ago. Uh, and they had either forgotten or were ignoring who the true God is. And so God sends his messenger, this prophet Isaiah, to go and tell the people about the character of God so that the people of Israel would turn back to and follow God. And we're going to see God's thoughts, and we're going to see God's heart, and we're going to contrast them to things that we commonly think. And so that we're going to see that our, our thoughts ultimately don't matter, but that's because God's thoughts do and how God, good that is for us. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, I, uh, I trust um, that each one of us, God, we have something in our minds that doesn't line up with your truth. God, we have something in our minds that doesn't line up with the way you created us to be. And so, God, I pray that you would just gently reveal that to each and every single one of us. Uh, God, continue to do that, God, so that we would be people who would live uh, the lives that you want us to live, God, so that we can experience the fullness of a relationship with you. God, and I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, or doesn't agree with your words at all, God, I pray that this would be a space, God, where they feel genuinely valued and genuinely like they have an opportunity to get to know you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, is where we're starting off. It says, it's right up there on the screen, you can flip there in your Bibles or on your phones. Uh, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. S starts off pretty straightforward. Uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is saying here, hey, we don't think the same. Our thoughts are not the same. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, you can think about as far away as space is from the earth, that's how different uh, our thoughts and God's thoughts are. He's trying to say there's a big gap here. And that leads us to point number one. It's very straightforward. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. As we get started, I want to I take a moment and share this because I think so often this get, gets done very poorly uh, by the church and by very well-meaning followers of Jesus. When, when we say that our thoughts are different from God's thoughts, we're not saying that anyone who disagrees with the Bible is stupid. We're also not saying that you have to instantly agree with everything in the Bible. And we're also not saying that God doesn't love you if you don't agree with him. Because all of those things are untrue. But what we do want to do tonight is set up a space that we can all examine our thoughts in a real way. And I would love it if it would give us all an opportunity to consider God's line of thinking and then consider our line of thinking and begin to see, is there a difference between those two things? And so if you're here and you disagree with anything that the Bible says, again, hear it from me. We are so glad that you're here. 
uh, I want to ask you to uh, just humbly, objectively consider the word of God tonight. That's my request. So I'm going to give us a couple different areas in light of that where our thoughts as young adults oftentimes differ from God so that we can begin to see this difference in how the God of the universe thinks versus how we think. Thinks. Uh, the first area is our plans for the future. So that's the first one where I think there's a big dichotomy. What are God's thoughts on the matter? It says right there in Lamentations 3.25, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to, those, to the soul who seeks him. It says the Lord is good to those who wait for him. So God says, it's good for you to wait and be patient and follow my plan for your life. Sounds pretty nice on the surface, right? But a lot of times we have a tendency to have a very rushed timeline in our minds. I don't know if you guys feel this. How many of you guys just sit there and you're like, man, like, I want my job to change now. You guys ever think that or feel that? Like, man, I want a promotion now. Uh, I want a raise now. Uh, I want a, a new house now. I want a new living situation, different roommates. I don't want to live any lo alone anymore. I don't want to be single. Whatever it is, we're like, I just want that now. Like, I don't want to wait for those things. I want those today. I think it's very common for us. A lot of times we look at our lives and we want the blessings of the future today. And we look at these things and we think, man, I, I want that today. And we start to realize that God's timeline and our timeline are not the same. And if we ask ourselves why this is, it's because uh, the Bible in 2 Peter says this about God. It says, don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. What this means is that God does not exist within time. God created time. So he's eternal. So these thoughts, like, our thoughts of, man, this is, this is a really long day, or it seems like this has been a really long season, or this has been a tough week, those things to God don't mean the same thing, because he exists outside of those things. So to him, a day and a thousand years are the same thing, because he exists outside of time. And that's very different than us, right? To us, one day is one day. It's just, it is what it is. And sometimes it feels like a thousand years, but it's not. It's still one day. Time doesn't always pass the way we want it to. It's three days till the Super Bowl, and I would like that to speed up a little bit. Um, but we're called to enjoy the time that God gives us each and every day. We're called to be present in the moment. But a lot of times, that doesn't go fast enough for my liking. That doesn't really progress through life the way that I want it to. And so then we begin to see that God has this way of thinking that's eternal, and we have this way of thinking that's, that's temporal or in time or it's more short term. That's the first thing. Another area that we can oftentimes disagree with God would be marriage, sexuality, and gender. What are God's thoughts on this? It says, uh, this is Jesus' words in Matthew 19. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What is God saying here? God says that marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. And a lot of times our, our thoughts don't line up with that, right? The, that complete picture, it's not a very popular um, idea amongst young adults. And there's not one uh, misconception that's worse than another. But these are some very common misconceptions uh, that happen within young adults. One of them is that gender is fluid. Uh, one of them is that homosexuality is in God's design. Another one is that sex outside of marriage is okay. Uh, divorce is a viable option. Love is about me and what I gain from it. Marriage is the only thing that will make me happy. 
And these are all different misconceptions, and they all miss the truth of what God says about marriage. And I'm guessing that all of us in here, we've probably either thought this at some point or we're thinking this currently. And again, I want to say this. If you uh, admit, you're like, yeah, I don't agree with some of these things, this is a safe place for you. You're in the right place, and I would just ask that no judgment, you would just continue to consider what God's word says about these things. Uh, You can think like maybe God is old-fashioned in this, maybe he's wrong, maybe he's unloving, but whatever it is, it begins to help us see, okay, I don't think the same way as God on everything, and we begin to see this different pattern. For me, as as I was writing this, I, I wanted to share how something that as I've been studying this, how my thoughts oftentimes differ from God's thoughts. Uh, this is one that's challenging for me. With my comfort uh, in my life, I really struggle to believe sometimes that losing my life for the sake of God and for others is the path to a joyful life. Right? Like, I don't really want to face suffering and trials and consider it joy, which is what the Bible commands. Jesus says in Luke 9, he says, forever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life because of me will save it. And this is a very hard verse to accept day to day. A lot of times, I don't want to sacrifice for others. I don't, I don't really want to live selfishly all the time, or selflessly all the time. I want comfort, and I want to protect my time. I want to protect my resources, my energy, my comfort, my entertainment, and not use them for other people. Because it's, it's hard to do that, right? And all it just reveals is that naturally, I'm more prone to selfishness than selflessness. Where God is more prone to selflessness because he's a perfect God, and he's others-focused, he's generous. And all these things, again, these are just, there's many different ways that we can disagree with God. We can disagree with God about money, about how we work, about the way we should speak, even the fact that we're all sinful people. A lot of times people can disagree with that. And, And I think it's important to build up this dichotomy between us and God, because like we talked about last week, our thoughts determine our actions, and our actions determine our outcomes. And God created us for good, and he wants to lead us to good outcomes. But my thoughts are not naturally going to guide me there. And I think one of the reasons why we disagree with God is because we don't see the outcomes of, the, of our thoughts the way that he does. We've already seen that God is eternal, right, and we aren't. So we look at our line of thought so often in our plans for the future or for sex or for money or comfort, whatever it is, and we think, hey, it's working out pretty good for me right now. Right, like maybe it's not exactly what God says, but I think it's working okay right now. I want to tell you guys a little bit of a story. There's a family up in Michigan, the Stonehouse family, and they have a six-year-old kid named Mason. This is a picture of Mason. Uh, So six days ago, six years ago, six days ago, on February 3rd, Keith Stonehouse, the dad of this family, he was letting his son Mason play a game on his phone, and after some time had passed, there's a knock at the door. And so he and his wife get up, And there's a Grubhub delivery man with a huge plate of jumbo shrimp. (laughs) And Keith and his wife are like, "Uh, we didn't order this. And he's like, hey, like, I don't know. This is what the order says. They they look at it. It's like, yeah, it did come from his phone. And they're just sitting there like, when did we order jumbo shrimp? Like, this is so, oh, wait. Mason has our phone. Mason's favorite food is jumbo shrimp. And then they're, they're like going back in, and they're trying to find Mason with the phone, and then there's another knock on the door. And the Grubhub driver goes, and there's a huge order of chili cheese fries. 
and it's another one of Mason's favorite foods. And so then they find Mason, and they, they take the phone, and as the fries are coming, more and more Grubhub drivers are showing up over the next, like, 15 minutes. And they look. Mason ordered over $1,000 of food on his dad's phone. $1,000. He went on the app, and he just started clicking on everything that he thought looked good. Right, like shawarma, chicken pita salad, or sandwiches. He ordered several salads. I'm like, man, what a six-year-old. Like, he's eating a salad. But $1,000 worth of food is delivered to this house. And Mason, of course, like, he's six. Right, so he does not realize that he's not just going through and clicking on food that he likes. He doesn't realize that there's, like, actual consequences to what he's doing. And so after all this, his mom and his dad sit him down, and they're trying to explain, like, this is a lot of money. This is, there, there are things that you have to do to pay for all this food, but he's like, I'm just trying to enjoy the moment, right? I'm just trying to get some good food. He's six years old. Money does not really mean a lot, much less a clean grand. Like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't mean too much to a six-year-old. Uh, and why is that? It's because his perspective is short-term, and his thoughts are short-term. And in the same way, we can look at our own thoughts and think, man, I'm just doing what I enjoy. It's no big deal. But God, like Mason's parents, he knows that there's consequences to our line of thinking. And there's consequences to not trusting God. Like being fearful about the future. And there's consequences to sex outside of marriage. Like heartbreak and pain. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're facing pain and heartache and loneliness right now. And and these are just consequences of our actions. And God did not design us for this. And you can believe that there are consequences to your line of thought or not. That's up to you. But one way or another, you will experience this because these are God's thoughts and God's thoughts are true. One day, we are all going to have to pay a price for our actions. And God wants us to have a life that's free from painful consequences. And so when we say that our thoughts are not God's thoughts, again, we're not trying to belittle anyone. Right? We're not trying to call anyone stupid. In fact, God actually respects us because he gives us a choice. He gives us the opportunity to choose how we live our lives. He doesn't force us, like little kids, to do exactly what he says. But what we are trying to do is mature our perspective. And we're trying to help us see with a more long-term focus. Because God is our creator, right? Like God designed the way that our bodies work. God designed the ways that our minds think. God designed the things that bless our souls. And just like an automotive engineer, he knows how to operate a car. God knows the best way for us to live because he designed us. So he knows exactly what we need to run on. He knows exactly how we need to run. And he knows exactly the things that go wrong if we don't do these things. And said another way, God is simply wiser than we are. And we have a choice then. We can either choose our thoughts that lead to our outcomes Or we can choose God's thoughts and trust his outcomes. That's our choice. And I want to talk for a while about why should we choose God's thoughts. Here it is. We should choose God's thoughts because God's thoughts are better because he's good. Listen to how Isaiah 55 starts. Just take a moment and and listen to the offer that God is giving. It says in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Y'all, God is offering to take care of our needs. And this is the crazy thing. He's generous. He's saying, if you're thirsty, if you don't feel like life is right, if you feel like there's a hole in your life and you're painfully aware of that need, the invitation's open. And it's free. You don't have to do anything. He's saying, be satisfied for free. It won't cost you. And the crazy thing is that he doesn't even just want to give us what we need. It's not the bare necessities. He says, come have milk, come have wine, come have rich food. He's saying he wants us to have delight. It's not just like he wants us to live this, you know, lowly, meager existence. He wants us to enjoy the things of life. And he doesn't want us to waste our lives. He wants us to have joy. And he wants us to live. He even says that he's offering, he's willing to offer that to each and every one of you for free. And he's willing to commit to it, to life, on the spot. Right there, it says an everlasting covenant. What God is saying, he's saying, hey, I'll commit to you right now, no questions asked, for free. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how your thoughts differ, regardless of what you've done, I will take you in and I will feed you and I will give you a place to belong forever. And that's what God is saying to us. He's a good God. And I think so often we can look at the way that God talks about sex or we can talk about the way that we think God's holding out us and on us for comfort or money or whatever it is or the way that God even calls us to come and, and take up our cross and die to ourselves and we miss the fact that God invented joy. God is the one who invented comfort. He invented rest and happiness. He invented love. He invented all of these things and we can see God so often as this being who's bitter and angry and distant and we can kind of think, man, God only cares about me, and he only gives me good outcomes if I follow his way. Listen closely, though. Don't miss this, y'all. God cares about you and your outcomes, so he gives you his way. That is why God gives you his way, is because he loves you. And he loves us, and he cares about us, and he's inviting us in. And it's not forceful. He's not trying to beat anyone over the head with it. He's just saying, if you're thirsty, come on in. If you're hungry, come on in. If you feel heavy laden, if you're tired, come on in. You've got a place here. And we have this choice to make then. We can either choose God's way and choose his thoughts and experience life. Or we can choose our thoughts, which naturally are broken and twisted by sin. And we can experience the pain and the consequences of those actions. And then if we die without dealing with our sin problem we face the consequence of sin, which is death and hell, or separation from God. And I think the question then is very obvious, is how do I deal with my sin problem? How do I choose God's way? And whether you have heard this one time, if you've never heard this before, or you've heard this a thousand times, listen to this. This is what it says in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. God says, seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Here's what you do, y'all. It says you forsake your way and your thoughts. 
and that just means that you repent or you turn away from. All you got to do is just admit that you don't have it right. And we just admit, God, I am desperately wrong. And you call out to Jesus and you say, help me. And it says he's compassionate. He says he will abundantly pardon. It means that regardless of what you've done, Jesus will come in and wipe away all the guilt and all the shame. And all the thoughts that you've thought that you sit there and you hate yourself for thinking. Jesus comes in and he says, I'll wipe away all of that for free, abundantly, beyond anything that you could imagine. And it, again, it's entirely free. You do not have to do anything for this. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. If you're thirsty for God and you feel like you have a hole in your life and you're facing the consequences and the debt of your actions, you can have that taken away. Back to young Mason, uh, our guy. He racked up this $1,000 debt, right? That's a lot of money. And so his parents are trying to, this is a true story, by the way. Uh, his parents are trying to teach him about finances and wise living while he's young so that he doesn't spend $1,000 on Grubhub when he's like 25. Um, and so they go up to his piggy bank and they open it up and they count out all the money and it adds up to $121.67, which is a lot for a six-year-old. <laughs> Christmas must be good. Uh, and they explain to Mason, hey, we're going to have to take this money to help pay for the food that you ordered, right? Because they're trying to say, hey, if you, buy, if you buy things, it costs money. And though it's not enough, and they tell him this, like, you're short $878.33. <laughs> now, of course, Mason's parents are not going to make him work for this, right? They are loving parents. Uh, he can't work for it. He's six. Uh, and they're going to pay for him, right? They're going to they're pay the bill. Uh, but that's a lot of money, right? $800. That's a, that's a lot of money. But the really cool thing is that night, a Grubhub executive found out about this debacle. And they actually contacted the family and said, hey, we're going to give you guys $1,000. And we're just going to pay for it. And we're going to take the hit for you guys. And in the exact same way, God sent Jesus to pay for all of our debt. God knew that we could not choose his path. He knew that we could not earn back some of that debt, part of that debt. He knew that we're sinners and we're in need of a savior. And so he chose to become human in addition to being fully God. And Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. He, his thoughts were always in line with God's thoughts. He never thought anything wrong. Can you imagine that? That's who Jesus is. And he died the death that we all deserved for our sin. And because he came back to life, he defeated death, and that means that we can have new life with him. And it's, again, it's free. We don't take our piggy bank up to God and think, hey, like, I've got $100, I've got part of the way, and then, I, like, my friends or my family or my, the things that I do, like, I think I can kind of supplement this, and somehow I'm going to make it up to 1000 Like, I'm not making a down payment on Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, you can't pay that. I'm taking the hit for you. I'm going to pay for this. Why don't you come in and keep eating with me? And I'll look after you. And so we get this picture of this generous, loving, and selfless God who is dying for people who outright reject him. And he is dying for people who call his ways narrow-minded or bigoted. People who constantly live as the, either the enemies of God or as disobedient children of God. 
And God sends his own son to die for those people. Can you guys imagine that? Which one of you would send your child or your niece and nephew or your loved one to die for the person who caused you so much pain and frustration? Who would do that? For someone who constantly was doing everything the opposite way of what you said. And they were constantly living in an antagonistic way to your goals. God looked at us and he said, I love them. I'm going to send my son to die for them. And we have to ask the question, why would God do that? Why, why would God abundantly pardon us? Why would God have that kind of compassion on us? It does not make sense. It's not fair to God, right? Like, he doesn't have to bail me out. He gave me the choice. I chose this. Why would God bail me out? Why would he pardon us? And it says there, right in Isaiah verse 55, 8 and 9, where we started. It says, he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Guys, God does not think the same way that we do. And that's because his way is so much better. And the question then remains that if God is so good, and if I've repented and I have followed Jesus, if you're in the room and you've already done that, why so often do I still choose my thoughts over his? And if I'm honest, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's because we think we know better. Like, I think I'm smarter than God. And I think that I'm more loving. And I think that I care about people more. And, and that's pride. And that's the very sin that Jesus died to save me from. And so... I have a choice. I can either choose humility and I can admit my thoughts don't matter. It matters what God thinks because in the grand scheme of things, y'all, my opinion or your opinion on morality or my opinion or your opinion on life or politics or the future or relationships, it doesn't really matter. And it matters because God is good. And so we can choose his thoughts. And we have a choice then. And if we're willing to humble ourselves and we're willing to admit that we need help and admit that we're thirsty and admit that we need God, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we seek out his thoughts? That brings us to our final point. God's thoughts are found in God's word. Uh, now, I want to be really clear. We are never going to perfectly agree with God on this side of heaven. Right? There is not a single person in this room. There's not a single person in any of these churches. There's not a single person on this planet who agrees with God all the time. It just it does not exist. If that was the case, you would already be perfect, and you wouldn't need God, honestly. Uh, in the meantime, though, we can get to know his thoughts, and we can to begin to align our thoughts with his way of thinking. Isaiah 55 continues and says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, it's very timely, uh, very timely, it's a lot of snow outside. I was not expecting that. I woke up and there's so much snow. Uh, it says that the rain and snow don't return there, but they water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In the same way that that happens, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It does not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What does this mean? It means that God's word never returns empty. When he speaks, things happen every single time. And it, this has not been my experience in life. Like when I speak, not a lot happens, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I think that's pretty common though, right? It's pretty common that we'll say things and 
we'll ask people things or tell people to do something, and it's like, it's not going to happen. There, there's a time in my life, though, that two people, uh, as an illustration, my words always accomplished something with these two people. I'd like to introduce you to Nan and Papa. Uh, these are my grandparents. Um, I love them. They love me quite a bit. I'm really grateful for them. They pray for me all the time. They actually pray for you all all the time, even though you all don't know them. Um, wonderful people. You got to understand, though, when I was younger, I was the oldest grandson, and so they were very excited to buy me things. Uh, and if I wanted something, I knew that all I had to do was say the word. So one time when I was four, I called Nana, and I love deviled eggs, and I said, Nana, I would like some deviled eggs. And an hour later, Nana shows up at our door with deviled eggs. And my mom's like, don't do that. <laughs> or I would be at Kmart with Papa, RIP to Kmart, uh, and I would see a toy, and I'd be like, hey, Papa, that toy, that's a sharp toy. And I'd buy the toy, right? And I'd get the toy all of a sudden. Uh, so many different things. I would just be like, hey, that, that sounds kind of cool. I think I'd like that. Boom. It's mine. Uh, my parents did not love that. Uh, I can see why now, right? They were scared that I was going to become spoiled. But in the moment, it was so great knowing that my purposes were going to happen because of what I said. And more importantly, it's because I knew that they loved me, right? That my relationship to them was making this happen. And so in a much, 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 much more important way, right? Much, much, much more important. God's word has a purpose. And that purpose is that we would know God's thoughts and words to us in a context of a relationship with him. And rather than being a spoiled child, God is a loving father. And he's going to instruct us and guide us in how we live. And he's going to give us his thoughts, which means we can know him. Which then means, okay, we need to know God's word. It means I need to learn to read God's word. And a lot of times this can sound really intimidating, right, to a lot of people. Maybe you're here and you're like, I have been wanting to read the Bible for some time. I don't really know where to start. Uh, maybe you've read the Bible at some point in your life, but you've got away from it. Uh, and you just want a way to get back into God's word. Uh, we want to take a moment and give you all a really easy tool of how you can approach God's word every single day. It's a, a real quick method. It's called the SOAP acronym. So you can see it up there. Can everyone read that? Yeah, that's pretty close. So basically what you do is it's just a way to take a little chunk of scripture and read it. So we're just going to do it uh, real quick over Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, a couple of the verses that we just read. So the S uh, in SOAP, it stands for scripture. And again, we're going to practice together. So you read it, you speak it out loud, and so you could read it and think, uh, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And you start with that and you can again read it out loud. Maybe you write those verses down in a journal or on a piece of paper or a note card that you keep with you. Just something to get it into our minds a couple different times. Then O in soap is observation. What do we see? And you start by asking what questions. What does this verse say about God? Uh, it says that God is compassionate. Uh, what does this verse say about me? Or what does it tell me to do? It says that I can seek God and repent to follow him. And then you start to ask the question, what does this mean? And the, what it means is that we need to seek God, which means I need to turn from my thoughts and my actions, and I need to get to know God's thoughts and God's actions and trust 
that God is going to be compassionate to me and welcoming to me. So that's O, that's observation. You're asking, what does it say? What does it mean? Then A, application. What should I do? It's very straightforward. It just says, seek the Lord while he may be found. How do you seek the Lord? Uh, I need to read God's word. It's pretty straightforward. And so you can read this and just think, what's my practical thing? What's something I can do today? Something I can do tomorrow? I can read God's word. And then P and soap is you pray. Uh, You pray and you, you thank God and ask him for his spirit to guide you. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be complex. It's just something like this. You can say, God, uh, just I pray that you would help me to think the way that you think, God. And I confess that my thoughts aren't the, the thoughts that I, they need to be. And I just pray that you would help me to know you more every day. And that's a really simple prayer. And you just pray out of your heart. You, you tell God what you're thinking. You tell God what you're feeling. You tell God that you want to know him more. And you pray. And that's soap. It's really straightforward. And you can do it in five minutes. You can do it in 15 minutes. You can do it in an hour. But we need to be getting our minds in God's word. And again, this can, this can sound intimidating at first, right? And we can read this and think, man, I kind of feel like I'm on my own when I'm doing this. We're actually going to be talking about why it's good to do this with other followers of Jesus next week. Uh, but for tonight, uh, this is a really cool thing. God actually gives us his spirit to guide us to his thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12 says this. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him, right? Who, who can tell what I'm thinking except for me and God? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, which is remarkable. What it's saying is that God empowers us to have his spirit when we become a follower of Jesus. We get the spirit. And it begins to inform our thoughts. And he begins to teach us through his word. And as he does this, it brings out fruit. And you might have heard about the fruit of the spirit if you grew up in church. But these are different characteristics or qualities of our lives that begin to show up as we begin to align our thoughts with God's thoughts. As we begin to live these things out. And the really cool thing is that we're not alone as we do this. Right, God is right there with us. He's the one guiding us. He's not saying, hey, you got to figure it out. Remember, he's inviting people to come and drink for free. He's saying, I'm going I'm to feed you. I'm going to teach you. You just got to let me. And so he invites us into this. And he invites us to bear these fruit in our lives. And Isaiah 55 actually talks about two of them in particular, joy and peace. It continues in verse 12. And it says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It says, you shall go out in joy. Which, what does that mean, right? What does that mean that we'd have joy? It means that there's just a lightness to our thoughts. There's this deep sense of happiness that's not based on circumstances. And it's not based off of how good or how bad things are going in my life, but rather knowing and experiencing my relationship with God. And instead of feeling like there's something missing, there's this wholeness to our life. There's this joy. And if we just continue to focus on God, it says we'll be satisfied for free. It says we can have joy just like he promised at the beginning of the chapter. Which is pretty remarkable to think. God's saying, hey, you can have joy. 
just from knowing me, just from spending time with me. The next thing, his thoughts also lead us into peace. Uh, elsewhere in Isaiah 26, it's, this is said to God, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in me. Y'all, as we begin to build our lives on God's word and on his thoughts, the concern of the future begins to fade. Anxiety and stress begin to fade. And as we begin to trust that God really will take care of us, that frees us up to live in the moment. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? It's not a perfect life, right? God never promises that anyone will even have an easy life. But it is full of joy and it's full of peace. And that as you go, and whether life is good and things are going your way, or if life is tough and you feel alone, or work is hard and stressful, romance is confusing, family relationships are strained, despite all of those things, you can have joy and you can have peace. And all it takes is accepting Jesus' invitation to make our thoughts his thoughts by going each and every single day to his word. Yo, we have to eat every single day, right? We, we need to eat and we need to drink every single day. And God's word is described as water. God's word is described as bread. We need this. This is not just a once a week thing. This is not just an every so often type of thing. God wants to give us water and milk and wine and bread in life and just enjoy the good things of life, but primarily he wants to give it to us through knowing him. And primarily he wants us to know his thoughts through daily time in his word. And it's not out of this thing where I sit there and I think, okay, I just, I need to do this or else God's going to be mad at me. It's just in the same way that you go in the morning and you go to the kitchen and you eat breakfast or when you get home from work, you make yourself dinner. In the exact same way, I get up and I think, I need, to, I need something to nourish my soul today. I need to know God's words to me. And that's how we begin to see God's word, when we begin to see his thoughts on the matter. And y'all, it's, again, in closing, it is very, very hard to admit that our thoughts amount to nothing on the eternal scale. It really is. It's not fun to admit that I'm wrong. It's not fun to admit that my thoughts don't matter. But if you'll trust God, you will find that there is nothing better in life than admitting that we're nothing without God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it's, it's so true. God, I, I have nothing, I am nothing without you. And God, I just pray that, God, as, as we're here and we're examining your words to us, God, would you please show us the ways that our thoughts do not align with your thoughts. God, when you please show us the ways that the, our ways don't align with your ways, God, and I pray that we would see you as better. God, I pray that every single person in here, God, that's thirsty, every single person in here who's looking for life, God, I pray that they would see that it's found in you. God, I know that you are extending an invitation to everyone. God, and if someone doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would see that they can put their trust in you tonight. And God, that's, that's an invitation that's on the table. And it's free. They don't need to do anything to earn it, God. I trust that your spirit will teach people this, God. And for those of us who are followers of you, God, I pray that you would just continue to guide us to this. God, don't ever let me have a day where I think that I don't need you. God, help us to see that we need you to take care of us. God, and we want to go to you for the things 
that we need like joy and peace and love and comfort. And God, I just pray that we would have the humility to trust you and to see that you are an eternal loving father and that there's no shame in admitting that I don't know everything. And so God, we just pray that tonight would your word accomplish the purposes that it has for us. God, I trust that it will not return void. So each and every one of us, God, as we're reflecting on it, God, tonight, tomorrow, this week, would you do a work in our lives through your spirit? We trust that you'll do this. And we pray this because we have access to you through your son's death and resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.